Shatter the stigma, mend the mind. Welcome to the live broadcast of Talk Revolution, hosted by Dr. Paul Sambataro, neurocognitive scientist, author, and retired school psychologist. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Talk Revolution. This is our 14th anniversary broadcast on BBS Radio. We are here today to discuss current topics with a new perspective based on cognitive function. Keep the fires of innovation, pioneering, and our shared culture of giving burning for future generations. The orientation of these discussions is to bring to light the importance of the underlying foundation to solving our most social problems such as disability challenges, poverty, violence, and crime. This is a call-in podcast. You may at any time feel free to call in with any questions you may have in regard to cognitive function and our program, Emotional Budgeting. Please call toll-free 888-627-6008 in the U.S. and Canada or direct 323-744-4831. Today's podcast episode is focused on a discussion of cognitive functioning and a summary of the emotional budgeting program. This podcast, we will review in detail some of the highlights of previous podcasts of the why and how the revolutionary emotional budget program has been developed to solve many of society's challenges, such as personal growth and development crime, addiction, and general maladaptive behaviors. It is a lot. It seems that we are here saying that we have a cure-all for all of society's ills. But if you have listened to previous podcasts, what we have is the development of a systematic means and method to resolving and moving forward into the future to solve those issues we just discussed. And one of the reasons today to summarize some of those issues is to bring to light again those research, the reasons of why and how those issues we are discussing today can be resolved, can do have solutions. That is why we have, we are the revolution. We are a revolution because we are moving into the future with something new, something different, something we have not done in the past to resolve the ongoing issues of that have been challenges for thousands of years, thousands. And we will discuss why that is today. One of the most important past discussions has included the association of physiology, emotions, and behavioral outcomes that impacts cognitive function. Yesterday, we touched on the efficacy of changing an individual's thinking through the behavior modifications such as a penal system, which for us, crime and punishment. 
To put it simply, we punish and we expect the punishment to be a deterrent to future crime. Expecting to change an individual's thinking. This has been an ongoing way of humanity's perspective, understanding, and solution for thousands of years to behavior, to unwanted maladaptive behavior. However, we noted in our last podcast about crime, the recidivism rate is currently at 77%, meaning only 23% of individuals who have been punished, resolve, or for some other reason, do not reoffend. Only 23% of the individual's behaviors changed their cognitive function. In other words, how they think has been changed. 23% of the individuals today, now. What if we want 100% thinking to be changed? What if we want 100% of the people to take action, to not take action, to commit a crime in the first place? Prevention then the obvious solution is to change how they think in the first place. And when it's too late, the ability to change their mind to provide a pathway, a deterrence to reoffend. This thinking on why we still, after thousands of years, thousands, from a time when we first gathered together in a collective called a town or a village, we seek to change the way we think through punishment, through behavior modification. This pathway of the cognitive function development program, emotional budget program, is a reason is why we developed this system. Because we do not want only 23% of the individuals to succeed at any given moment. And it is not simply about crime. This is a norm throughout our entire society of 15 to 25% succeeding. And then on the bell curve, the rest on the downslope of success, and then those on the outskirts who require support from the rest of us. So why does emotional budget program? Why does it work? Emotional budget program works because the brain has an organ, like the heart or kidney, has a function to perform no matter our awareness of our mind's abilities. So it's functioning. It has many functions other than simply to allow us to be conscious of our surroundings. It wants to function at an optimum level no matter the environment. So it is striving to deliver. It wants to perform. The brain is linked to every nerve and sensory pathway in the body. You cannot feel your arm. You cannot taste dessert you cannot 
feel the heat without the brain receiving a signal from a sensor, much as a camera to a computer. You would not know what's going outside if your camera was not hooked up to the computer to see it. The brain is linked to every nerve and sensory pathway in the body. That means that there's data flowing constantly from every sensory nerve and pathway to the brain. Imagine that each data coming in and going out as we would a computer data in ones and zeros. So if we have a sensor, a camera sensor to a computer, we are receiving data and it interprets it with software. The brain is doing much the same. Imagine that we add sensory data, our eyes, ears, nose, and taste and touch. Imagine hooking that up to a computer. Now imagine how much data is flowing to that computer. Imagine that all these data points are included in the need for the brain to process and conclude or react to. So now we have a response. Now we include our ability to sift this information to make an informed decision opinion and or to ignore the information. And thankfully, we depend on much of this information to be processed automatically once learned, generally speaking. It goes into for us not to have to be aware that we are able to perform tasks. And as I mentioned in previous, or one of our first podcasts, the question then would be, where is the boundary between our conscious and our automatic function? As you might wonder, the brain is trying to figure that out as well. And when the brain handles function items automatically, life feels smooth. But when the brain depends on us to make rapid conscious decisions, we might begin to feel overwhelmed by the amount of data we need to process. Imagine when information is coming in faster than it can be processed, either automatically or consciously. The result of data coming into the brain faster than it can be processed results in the brain's cry for help through the process of physiological reactions. The reaction most of us are aware is the increased level of stress and anxiety. Again, I, the metaphor I use is a computer, especially in the old days when there was not enough computing, we would open up several windows and the computer would freeze. Of course, it is faster now. The software is better. But in the old days, the software was slow and cumbersome, took up a lot of space, and often the computers would freeze with trying to do too many processes at hand, multitasking, as we might imagine today. There are as in mentioned, and it's a summary of our emotional budget program on the how and why it was developed, of the need and the ability of this program to deliver results based on the discussion of why we have problems today. 
The environment is constantly changing the demands. So the subtle consequence of the brain's perception of processing data is constantly engaging now, changing, being viewed by individuals who then, as when the process, both the change and the demand, becomes overwhelming. And when a person is feeling overwhelmed, it is generally with that of emotions. For some particular reason in our day and age, as I discussed, there are reasons for the emotional, for the data from the emotional input portion that can easily overwhelm our ability to resolve and solve problems, emotional problems. And we discussed why. One of these is culture. One of these is the rapidly changing environment in which we evolve. Often when we experience feelings of emotions that are unexpected and intense, our functioning is likely to decrease until we recover. And as we discussed, individuals may face additional challenges. So the environment results in the changing demands, technology, how we live and how we relate to others or don't relate to others or the methods a finite amount of space for processing. The brain is a finite amount of space. The brain is huge, has great ability, but it is still a finite amount for processing, filtering versus non-filtering of data. Brain processing of emotional data and the size of data it takes up in processing versus single problem solving issues. In other words, emotional data does not come in in an organized fashion. And the structures behind that culture and the changing environment are now different than when they were in the past and changing quickly. Whereas our evolution our brain changes are in the thousands and thousands of years that our technology and the changes in how we relate the emotional data is within decades. The difference leaves a gap. Consequence of the brain's difficulty to process this information. So we discussed the challenges in previous podcasts uh, concerning both culture, environment changes, and the adaptation of brain itself to relate to the changes. Each one, there's a consequence of impact on our physiological reaction. So, adaptation is a holistic reaction to genetic expression, to genetic change, each one a little bit 
slower genetic change is slower than genetic expression, which is more flexible, but nonetheless still slow compared to our environmental changes and the change in our culture that was developed to accommodate the needs of our cognitive function. Rational and explanation of the conscious mind that compensates the brain's alert system of processing difficulties. Here, again, everything can be seen on a bell curve in which some of us may are adapted to interpreting and rationalizing in a way that's positive the brain's alert system of processing difficulty. So some of us may be alert or understand or educated enough to understand without the structure of uh, strict cultural nonverbal cues to understand that if we are feeling overwhelmed, if there's too much emotion, that we can go and use tools, certain methods to allow for that processing to occur before we make a decision. The results of an emotionally overwhelmed mind results in the brain's perception as pain. This is, again, I mentioned especially in special education and in mental health, the acknowledgement, especially with children, that emotional, being emotionally overwhelmed to a point that they feel pain, although they may not recognize it as pain. An individual may not think of it as pain. But the issue, again, is the lack of ability to transition from the feelings of being overwhelmed to consequential behavior and institutional expectation around them. This can be certainly seen in those who are most vulnerable with mental health issues such as bipolar, autism, and to a lesser degree but still influential ADHD issues. So we have discussed why and how we, our perceptions, are addressing our social issues such as crime and, and abuse and, and violence, we have tended to try for thousands of years change behavior to modify the thinking when in fact the revolution that I'm speaking of is to support the thinking, to support the cognitive function, and the behavior will follow, the positive behavior, because we are addressing the pain and the issues of the brain's need to process information. Behavior follows function, or the lack of it. And behavior follows the difficulty of processing issues. So the obvious behaviors that we 
See, self-medicating behaviors. We have asked the individual, what is their pain? But we are not giving the tools to understand the interpretation of the brain signals to that individual, understand why the brain feels the pain. I alluded to in previous podcasts, it was very simple to understand pain of a cut, pain of a burn, because we visualize it. But when we cannot visualize a pain, we minimize, we interpret. And that interpretation has resulted in self-medicating behaviors that we call addiction. Because those medicating behaviors tend to rely on very inefficient means of resolving very impulsive or expedient issues very quickly, but not for the long term. And again, these issues are surrounding mental health disorders, special education, and the adaptation to divergent brain evolution. So that is a big leap from our current issues at hand, and then the understanding of why the brain is different on an individual level from one person to the next. While at the same time, it is always the same. So it functions in the same way as an organ consistently, but because of individual genetic and expressive and environmental, the outcome is always slightly different from one individual to the next. So we can count on two things. The brain's constant need to function and to provide an op at an optimal level for every individual to meet its environment to its capability. And when it cannot, pain is involved. When either the environment is loading, overloads, and overwhelms, or when the brain is vulnerable for that particular adaptation, in that particular moment, in that particular environment, is not the same as the next individual's ability to adapt, then we get, again, misinterpretation of both the individual's abilities and the individual's vulnerabilities. And this, again, separates out the solution of which has been and continues to be to modify behavior to change a thinking without understanding all the numerous issues surrounding the brain's ability and cognitive function. The divergence is an important portion of how brains have been diverging, how they continue to diverge, and how we process information or why. But we the brains are always constantly in the same environment trying to get the same optimization. So, for example, if a mammal 
a mammal can lay an egg like a platypus, it still hatches and it still rears its young. But it laid an egg, it did it differently. Then a kangaroo who, with a small baby, comes out into the open and then goes into the pouch versus a baby that is kept for nine months in the womb. These are all differences. These are all genetic differences, but for the same, meeting the same environmental consequence. And that is something to consider as our brains evolve differently from one another for different reasons and respond in different ways, subtle, to impulses to dad to our environment. This is where we had discussed in our podcast. On one hand, we described how autism is on one end of the spectrum, and we have on the other end of the spectrum with a different cognitive platform responding to the same environment, but in a different way. The other end of the spectrum would be those with bipolar type adaptations. And everyone everyone lying in between those ends of an adaptation. So in the spectrum, genetic expression and genetic differences, these are reasons why not that influence personality. This is the underlying foundation that we are discussing today, a house, not the first floor, not the second floor, not the basement. We are discussing the concrete in which the house is built. If you do not understand how the house foundation was laid, it may be the reason why the house tilts. It may be why the house rots. It may be why the house falls down. If we do not understand this foundation, and that is what I'm here today with Talk Revolution, discussing the foundation to our behaviors, the foundation to our lives. And we have left it to wilt. We have left it to conjecture. But it is science. And yet it is much more. Think of the brain as a series of antennas and radar signatures. From there, the difference in receptivity impacting behavioral responses. And this is, again, alluding to the differences in individual cognitive functioning, brain architecture. All adaptations evolved as a survival trait through time, and given adaptation is tested for optimal performance. As one trait loses importance in optimizing survival, another will likely become the dominant force. And we can see around the world, we have different groups of people in different areas who have optimized in the past. But with changing times, new groups arise who are able to dominate their specific culture, their specific group as the times change and they utilize those modern cultural traits that were not there, those changes that were not there previously. In most cases, a trait is unlikely to completely disappear until environmental forces make it 
once and again an important trait for survival or optimizing offspring. So again, the underlying basis for everything we have done to evolve and get here is to survive and optimize the carrying capacity of our population. Evolution of technology versus the lack of social change. So we have done well with technology in spurts and stops and it works. So why, why is it so important that we, that's this discussion of cognitive function because again when we go look at back at our world that has changed so rapidly with technology our world is increasingly filled with more and more data with less and less structure and we're talking again about cultural we're talking about environment and those increasingly we have more and more choice but let us review first where we are today with social change. Roman area, let's start circuit 400 BC before Christ, 400 AD after Christ, 800 years of Roman history crumbled under time and social change. What happened? The better question is what did not happen? Of all the institutional development and engineering abilities and marvels that they created. The one thing that did not change despite the introduction of Christian beliefs was social change. People still went to war. People were still enslaved. And eventually all of society ended up as a feudal situation with indentured slaves. Or not slaves per se, but indentured people who were enslaved to the land or to their position as serfs. It took another 1,200 years to begin to see behavioral change, change thinking that allowed for greater population growth and sustainability. But that we call the Industrial Revolution. And really, people had not gained as much, but we did increase our carrying capacity by the technology. Today, despite all our technology, we, we have the means to solve every known crisis to man at this point. Energy, uh, pollution, we have the ability to solve climate change. All of these issues, it's just not the will and the determination in a collective manner. The one thing that has not changed since the Roman times is our perception of how we live and the way we think as a collective, as an individual. We still have crime. We still punish. So nothing has changed in 10,000 years. We still have crime. We still punish. We still, we have on average 30 to 50% of our youth do not finish high school. Of course, <clears throat> that's probably a, a great leap forward from the Roman times of school. But on the side from the challenges, 
we still react and try to change behavior. In the Roman times, they put him on a cross, nailed him. Now we put him in a jail. 77%, I mentioned again and again, our ex-vendors re-offend. So the success over 10,000 years, it didn't work for the Romans. It's not working for us. And we haven't changed our ideas of how to solve this problem. Substance abuse. Rehabilitation research indicates there is an average from 16 to 25% sex rate, success rate lower than if an individual did not go at all. <laughs> Why? Because we are constantly trying to affect cognitive functioning function by directing behavior. Looking backwards, the success rate appears to be a direct correlation to the distance from the brain input. In other words, behavior is the third tier out. It sort of would be the third story in our house. Trying to fix the basement from the third story and hope that if we fix the walls, the house will not fall down on the third at the bottom. Behavior is a third tier out in the response to the brain's function. Second tier would be the physiological response to the brain and the interpretation of the conscious mind of the body's physiological response. Then the first order of direct impact would be anything directly supporting the brain's ability to function. If a response follows the interpretation of the brain's need, it stands to follow the failure of misinterpreting the brain's work works in both directions. So if in response, the interpretation of the brain's needs, and we miss and it stands to follow the failure of misinterpreting the brain works in both directions. Punishment will likely be in direct competition with the interpretation of the brain signals, which will only support continued failure of changing the way an individual thinks, such as action and consequence. So if there's a continuation of misinterpretation of the brain signals, there's no reason for the behavior to change. How do you change misinterpretation of the brain by a simple changing of one's forcing and the behavior to change? It, it is not changing that rationale or the brain signals. That comes with education. That comes with understanding why and what the signal was from the brain. Thus, at each level of intervention, we can see a loss of roughly 30% efficiency, positive results. We can see the further away we move from the direct impact of the brain's cognitive needs, the further, the less the results are likely to be. And we already have the facts on that. So behavior modification is, I give a generous 30% effective. Medicine has a direct impact. So if one is taking medicine directly, there's a direct impact on the nerve, the synaptic, likely. So it's likely that medicine by itself will give a 60%. But if we intervene at the cognitive level, we are then likely to get 100%, followed by, followed by 
the medicine, followed by the behavior. But where do we start? We start in the foundation. We don't start at the third floor and hope everything is good below. Because 70% of the time, apparently, it will not be, it will not work. Only 30% or less. The emotional budget program works directly with the brain's cry for help. That's why it's so effective. We start in the foundation. Does that mean it's everything? No. Does that mean, but it's where it needs to start to complete a hundred percent effectiveness that we described for those things that the brain is striving for. What it wants. It is building with the brain. It allows the brain. It is giving the material for the brain. It is giving the pathways. It is providing a pathway to support the transfer of data from one area of the brain to another, allowing for the process of data, emotional data, to be processed at far greater speed and efficiency than through reverse engineering, pushing the physiological response back up the hill to change how the brain functions, which again we see is only about 30% and less efficient. No matter where the individual is, whether the individual is in a school, is in a prison, is in, in whatever environment. However, should know, this is about this day and age, this time right now, because in the past, in certain areas, not everywhere, culture and the times, the simpler times allowed for simpler answers. In other words, a person's position wasn't, was stratified to strict areas of control that they did not need to answer to. So there was a lot less choices, a lot less, more structure, less choices. So a greater number of adaptations at the bottom, the serfs, allowed for functionality at the bottom. In the middle in the top because of the greater function of the greater structure of culture and stratification of society times have changed we have developed technology we have developed a whole host of changes thrown at us and we wonder why our children individuals a greater number of incarcerations are growing. We wonder why. But the answer lies in that we have not made significant changes or to meet the changes in our environment. Brain has not been able to adapt as fast as our environment has changed. So we have provided an artificial means speeding up, ability to process, especially when it comes to emotional data, that can greatly hinder an individual's ability 
to solve problems. And we discussed how we will infer that to solve problems, an individual is solving problems in order to function. And when that is hindered, and the signals from the brain that would be pain are misinterpreted, we end up with self-medication and maladaptive behaviors because of the misinterpretation and the lack of understanding of what those brain signals mean. And then we get the difficulties of processing on top of that. And we have very poor ability to solve problems, especially emotional problems. So the emotional budget program allows for 100% improvement efficiency from a cognitive function baseline. And we discussed where this baseline can be ascertained through the assessment process. Assessments do not have to be used to indicate where a person meet fits on a hierarchical scale of authority or ability. Simply understanding the cognitive function allows for the understanding of that individual's adaptation in our current environment and institutional expectation. Schools, work, then we can address support. How much, how little is enough. And preventing and supporting at an earlier age less costly than incarceration at a later age. Because that individual will be functioning, it will be working, it will be producing, paying taxes. That is a lot more than what we discussed in our previous podcast, which is a creating not only the prison, not only the individual in a prison, the cost of that individual, but their children, 7.2 million children, are now at risk, along with the million foster kids, at risk of continuing the cycle of cost and pain. Cost and pain. Billions and billions of dollars in cost and pain. This allows, in theory, this provides a means for 100% graduation rates, 100% addiction prevention, 100% means of preventing crime when applied at an early age with a care and understanding. So, with assessments at an early age, with the understanding that those assessments are simply strengths and weaknesses in our current environment, applied to understanding the best supports needed for that individual to prevent the issues of our crime, poverty, violence, and so on. It's not simply throwing money at an issue. It is understanding why it, the issue is there in the first place and then why, how we can apply a very a method, a program that specifically builds the foundation for our world to be what we dream it to be. It's not based on hope. It's not based on 
wishes. It's based on a science that we have come to believe is simply something that we describe in a label. And then that label is told to somebody else as another label. And then we have a hierarchy. And then we have rationale as to why one is at one ability and another is at another ability. Instead of guaranteeing support for every individual to meet the institutional expectation of our environment. So if a school has four walls and they expect a child to be there eight hours a day, we can understand how to support that child but because we understand his vulnerabilities, his strengths. And those are assets to the diversity of our species because our environment is constantly changing and we need that diversity and we need it into the future. And we need to value every single child equally. And we can do that. The life to right. The right to life should embrace this moment of understanding as if it is their belief that every life has a right to, every, has the value, the right to life. Then we have the right and the responsibility to support that life in the best optimized way possible. That is what this allows for. In the biological world, nothing is 100%, but in our world, we can approach this level by applying the artificial means of emotional structure that opens the door to further interventions, improving all outcomes instead of beating our heads against the stone or turning a blind eye to misunderstanding. We have the means now. This is effective. It works. And it, too, as we evolve into efficiency and provide greater and greater expectations of the program itself. Increasing the functioning by assessing the brain's need to organize itself. So I encourage all parents, teachers, and caretakers who think they know or are in care of and are parents of young adults children and students who may be at risk due to feeling emotionally overwhelmed in the environment, who lack structure, foster kids who lack structure, kids who feel overwhelmed in their environment, such as school, home, or due to a specific traumatic event. Support these children by introducing the Emotional Budget Workbook for Youth. This provides additional support for the processing of those motions and provides a platform to solve those problems. Only 15, 20 minutes a day for between six to eight weeks, encourage and help them fill out the workbook by looking at the examples. This is made, the program, is made to, with the expected outcome, is like what we would expect when we fill in a financial planner. 
I was reading an article recently in how many financial planners we have in the United States that were heavily into the finances. But we lack the emotional understanding of emotional decisions or how our decisions are based on emotions and then we do with the finance. So financial planning in America is one of the best. Emotional planning and understanding, we do struggle. And in part because we are a melting pot. We are a melting pot of culture. We are a melting pot of ideas. We are a melting pot of choices. Our market, supermarkets are the biggest of choices. Our lives, we have more freedom to choose than almost any other country. Despite what we say about the good countries with the good social programs, does not always lead to choices. So, But our choices, our ability to choose and the freedom to choose has consequences. The lack of structure for us to solve emotional problems. We have it now. It doesn't solve the overall problem to fill in the budget planner. In other words, it doesn't make more money by solve, by having a budget plan. But it does identify by line how the money is spent, and in this way, the same with emotions. It simply does not make emotional issues go away, but it does identify and it does allow for the ability to solve a problem and for the brain to process. Thus, our name for the program the emotional budget. It is a solution. So those things which I have indicated how it is a solution or why it is a problem and how it is solving that issue. When the process has been filled in just like a budget plan, a person is then able to review by line the results and at that time has the ability of, and choice to decide how to resolve any issues that had resulted in lowering the individual's ability to function and work through day-to-day -day tasks. The American Academy of Primary Care Psychologists is introducing life coaching for emotional motivational support, as well as advanced training resources for medical professionals, as well as school district members, because we want to teach those people who are in the front line of day-to-day -day challenges of emotional problem solving. Schools are definitely a front line of providing a structure and a means for children to mature, develop, and learn how to solve problems both for work and for their life. But as an experienced retired school psychologist who has seen those issues come to light in special education and Overall, whether it's with bullying, it's whether it's with emotional, overwhelmed feelings in all ages, it is important to have a tool. It's important to understand other than just behavior. It's important for the principals to understand why their children are being sent to the office. Understand why the children understand why they did those things. It is important to understand that there is a 
way to solve and help provide support. So their success is optimized. Their ability, cognitive functioning is optimized. It may not be the same as the child next door, or next seat who gets 1400 on his SAT, but he may be a brilliant person who understands the complication of plumbing or carpentry or is artistic and has no interest in an SAT score, but it has the abilities that may be important one day. More important, it is not, I'd suggest, for us to decide what is most important, but our responsibility as parents, as society, to support every child and value every child, to be supported, optimized for their strengths and to support their vulnerabilities and weaknesses so their lives are optimized so they can be happy with what they do. That is what all of us parents. Generally speaking, I'm speaking for those of us who are parents and those in general that I've heard over and over again, that's what we want for our children. But it's what we want for all children because if we want for all children, it'll be for our children as well. And we have a means. Every problem is solvable. solvable. Every problem has a solution, including the pain we feel from emotions, the pain we feel from overwhelming sensors, sensory issues, overwhelmed emotionally, there is a solution. Our next podcast will focus on the challenges of individuals with disability transitioning from youth to adult, the expectations, services, and support. This is an important uh, very important um, information as there is often a gap between services that have been rendered as in, in a school system, in a high school system, and the responsibility of the school district versus uh, at the end of that, uh, either in or out of special education uh, system 18 or 21, the district's responsibility stops and there are nebulous or challenges to gaining uh, other services for as an adult and over and over again the challenge for parents and supporters of these young adults who are transitioning or will transition is for the smooth flow of information and support from what a school district is obligated to do to helping provide for services as an adult. And of course, we've just reiterated the importance of every individual's value to society and the fact that the earlier we're able to provide these support services, the less cost to society afterwards. It has been my experience that every young adult 
every young adult wants to be productive, no matter their their abilities, no matter their their ideas of what they what they can do in the eyes of institutional expectation. And for us to provide that support at the earlier moment is a greater chance that they will see their lives be productive and as well as lowering costs to society. And for those who are not empathetic to what I mentioned as individuals who have committed a crime or individuals who are violent or individuals who have uh, disability challenges, then we can think of it as lowering costs, reducing the demand of paying for those things that end up being after the fact. So it's more costly in the long run to provide services for someone who, can, who has difficulty functioning at an older age than the training and advancement of someone who can do work with their, their strengths and be supported with through their weaknesses as we all have. We are all on a spectrum of disability, depending on what the work is. That is why we have those who can do football and those who cannot. We have those who can do engineering and we have those who cannot. We have those who can do other things. And that is what makes society great. So again, our next podcast will focus on the challenges of individuals with disability, transitioning from youth to adult expectations, services and support. AAPC, the American Academy of Primary Care Psychologists, we now offer life coaching, consultations, professional training for clinicians are available through the website www.emotionalbudgeting.com for parents, caregivers, individuals, and educators as well. Copies of the workbook are available digitally on Kindle and in paperback on Amazon.com. I would like to thank very much our producers, Doug and Don Newsom. They have had great challenges. They've come through a lot. And I just sincerely wish the best for them and what they've done for everyone. And I'd like to thank you, our audience. Very appreciative and wish the best for you. Welcome to the Brain Revolution. Until next time, this is Dr. Paul Sumpataro.